Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. Hi, Tiffany. How are you doing? Uh, I've been better. I've been better, to be honest. First of all, I want to start today by saying thank you to those of us who sent us voice memos in response to our loneliness episode. Um, That was really great to hear from you guys. If anyone else has anything to add to that conversation, we'd love to hear from you too. If you haven't heard the loneliness episode, it's the uh, two before this one. And we're going to do a follow-up episode on that. So if you leave your comments or your thoughts, we will try to include them. Also, sorry that we missed last week. Katie had a personal tragedy in her life, so she needed to take a little bit of time off and um, and deal with that. Do you want to talk about that, Katie? I can talk about it. I can't promise that I'm not going to get emotional about it, but I can talk about it. I could talk about it more now than I possibly could last week. Well, that's good. Console yourself with the knowledge that it will not be the first time that you've cried on the podcast. <laughs> And it probably won't be the last. Thank God for that. Why don't you ever cry on the podcast? Um, You're going to have to go back and listen to our cry episode. Really? I'm weird. Don't you remember we did an episode on crying? I don't. Tell tell me. You don't remember that? We did a whole episode on like why some people cry at the silliest things and why do they cry. Oh, no. Yes, I do remember that. Yeah. And I said, I never, I never cry if I'm in public, but if I'm alone, I'll tear up. Or if I'm like reading a baby book to my son, I'll like start crying. Mm. But sorry, back to you. So I'm going to try to make it a mission to at least capture happy crying from you or something (laughs) Something (laughs) like that. Some kind of Aurelio uh, moments or something. I don't know. You're just human. Yeah. Well, great. I'll be the um, I'll be the softy on this show. Yeah. Although when it comes to big tragedies, I suppose you can't really even call yourself a softy because I think at that point, crying is probably the mm. proper response. Yeah. Part of the reason why I I didn't even want to talk last week and why I knew I needed a, a week off was because. I felt like every time I talked about it or thought about it, I would go numb, you know, not like numb emotionally, but actually feel physically fuzzy. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's almost like a a heart panic or something like that. So I'll back up because then it will make more sense. And anybody, by the way, who knows me and who has already heard of this tragedy and you don't want to go through it again, I suggest you just shut this off. So last Friday morning, I get a text from a friend of mine who used to work with me at the People's Pub. In fact, she was on this very show. Her name is Lisa. She was on the speech show, in which I think is actually one of my funniest interviews that I've done on this show. So if you haven't heard it, go back and find Lisa talking about um, linguistics with me and making fun of the fact that I think of a cow as a female or as a male. <laughs> I remember that. I remember that was funny. Right. You think of a cow as a male. You were like, cows are, ma- cows are male. Of Sheep course. are women and, like, and cows um, are males. <laughs> no, they're not. Um, yeah. So Lisa sends me a text and it just says, hey, I wanted to know if you heard the sad news about Susan. And Susan was a friend of ours. She worked with me at a bar in my 20s. And um, she was... Uh, probably in the top five of my favorite people in the entire world. If you can, you know, if I count you among that or Suzanne among that, Susan was in that top five. So we worked together at the People's Pub 
and then she decided to chase after her dreams and get the heck out of Seattle and move to the low country, South Carolina, where she always wanted to live. She did like Seattle a lot, but she hated the weather. And she also had a very beautiful kind of slow drawling southern accent. And she found that people in Seattle often treated her like she was stupid and she just couldn't take it anymore. Ah, so she was originally from the South. She was from the South, yeah. Even though she moved away, um, she lived in Beaufort, South Carolina, which was very close to where my grandmother lives. And so every time I'd go to visit my grandmother, I would go and visit her and her husband, Mark, and stay with them for a few days. And it actually made that trip so much more fun. And because it's my grandmother, who's 98 now, it's not like we don't, we do go frequently. So I, I was seeing them quite often. So I get this text from Lisa and Susan's our age, you know, she's 40. Uh, she's my age. She's 40. Yeah, I'm, I'm not 40. I yet. know. Sorry. Don't don't put me in that category. <laughs> my bad. My bad. So she's 40. So when Lisa texts and said, did you hear the sad news about Susan? I was thinking, you know, maybe her mother had died or maybe she found out she had some illness or bad news yeah something less serious than the next text which is of course when it, you get the follow-up text that says can i call you mm-hmm. that's usually bad yeah yeah um so here's where i'm gonna get teary because this call is like burned in my head <laughs> so i pick up the phone and immediately i can tell like lisa's got terrible news and of course me being me I'm like hey good morning <laughs> you know how's it going <laughs> just because that's me and she just said took a deep breath and she just said she's gone I'm so sorry you know immediately you just crumble right I didn't even think to ask why what happened or or maybe I did and I don't remember <laughs> but it was sort of like that idea of if somebody were to call me and tell me you were gone, you know, all of a sudden your entire view of the world changes. You now live on a planet without her. But Lisa explained to me, like, everything that had happened. And basically she had just been driving home from her first day as the volunteer coordinator of the Turtle Watch Project or something. I don't know the official name, but it's so her that that's what she would have been doing. And a truck... A FEMA trailer actually was towing an empty trailer, a big empty metal trailer, and it came unhitched and just flipped onto her car and just completely obliterated it. Um, If you can imagine, everybody wants to assure you it was instant. She wouldn't have felt anything. And of course, it's a terrible tragedy, and you don't want her to feel anything, but. You also have that, I had that thought of like, you know, when you really, really love somebody that you also just sort of like love their whole physical being, their movements and their skin tone, their smile, all all that stuff, right? And so sort of the idea of that just being smashed is, was pretty horrible. You know, not to mention the fact that she's gone. So that's what I was dealing with <laughs> when we didn't tape last week. It's horrible. And then, of course, I had to go wake Derek up and tell him about it because it was first thing in the morning. And 
I mean, obviously, there's like all these cascading feelings about what it means for her husband, Mark, and the fact that I can't even picture them not being together and all those things. So we were very similar, her and I. We both really got a lot of joy from the little things of nature and we like to go get cocktails together and get, you know, a little sillier with each other and have this general simplicity to life. And she did it so much better than I currently do. She really had shaped her life into a way that she just sort of was interacted in a very curious and inventive way all the time. And always inspired me to be better because I could see inklings of me in her you know like that we had stuff in common but then she had figured it out and figured out where she wanted to live and had found this great soulmate guy and all this stuff and I had always struggled more with loneliness and depression and not quite knowing what I want to do with myself so it also felt very personal not just in the fact that she was a friend of mine but that this kind of thing could happen to me. I think until something like that happens, you, you can kind of be in denial, like, sure, we're all going to die, but we're not going to die anytime soon. I don't know. It doesn't feel the case anymore. Yeah, I think anytime you lose someone close to you, especially if they are not older, you can't help but feel that, that life is not guaranteed. Yeah. And ask the big questions, too, of Am I doing it right? If you have like one chance, are you doing it right? I don't think anyone thinks that they're doing it right, or at least not exactly right. I'm sure that Susan looked at your life and thought that there were probably things that you'd figured out that she hadn't figured out because no one has got it all figured out. No, of course not. And I have no idea what what she thought. Another thing I think I do, I don't know if you do this too, And I know that you haven't had somebody like your own age group that you were really close to die, thank God, and neither had I anytime recently. I did when I was a kid. But but one thing that I can't help but do is trace the whole storyline. Like it's a clock. And I don't really like that I do that, but I do. And what I mean by that is that I saw her almost two years to the day of when she was killed. A little less. And at that point, of course, you would have never thought that she had two years left to live. But now, I know that she did, right? It's heavy stuff. Um, And so, I feel like that's what's kind of scary, is that you just don't know. Like, maybe I only have two years left. Maybe I have less than that. So then you start asking those questions like, if I knew that I had two years left, what would I do differently? Anything? And if she had known she only had two years left, would she have done anything differently? I don't have answers to those questions. I would guess that she probably wouldn't have done anything differently um, because she really was doing it right. But she got up every morning and... Not every morning, obviously, but she'd get up many mornings and go paddle boarding while the sun was rising. I mean, what a great way to start the day. And she did that every week. 
she was the person I learned from her to keep a cooler in the back of my car because you never know when you're going to drive by somewhere that's selling something great that you can invite <laughs> everybody over for dinner to have. <laughs> I mean, she just had, sort of had that impromptu thing. Be out in nature, enjoy life, be inventive, and see your friends at night. So I don't know that she would have done anything differently, but I still kind of can't help make a countdown clock in my head. I, I just don't know why. The horrible thing, maybe. Well, I think that's dangerous. I mean, I totally get where you're coming from. And we should all, in a sense, live like we've got one year left, seize the moment and, and make every day count. But on the other hand, it's also a little bit morbid isn't the right word, but it's kind of a dark way to look at things. And you can't sit there with this sort of idea that like doom could just be around every corner. True. Of course. Because that'll make you, in a certain sense, not enjoy your life. Right. Because you're always wondering, is this the end? Is, you know, is this, is this the last time I'll ever go here, go there? And we've talked a lot about nostalgia on this podcast and we both suffer from it. Right. <laughs> and there's a middle line. There's a... There's this weird limbo between living in the moment and, tr okay, I'm not I'm not saying this right. Say it in Italian first if but you have to. <laughs> I know what I'm thinking. I just can't, I can't get it out into words. When you try to live in the moment too much, it's worse. You make it worse for yourself. I do it all the time. You know, it's a beautiful day. And I think to myself, I've got to enjoy this day. I've got to enjoy this day. And if I can't enjoy the day as much as I want to enjoy it, it makes me feel bad. And the whole day is wasted. Isn't that weird? I don't know. It's so, it's great to enjoy your life, to think, yes, this is the only life I'll ever have. And I have to live it to the fullest, but don't get neurotic about it. Right. Go with the flow. Yeah. I wonder if you're... Um... I must enjoy this nice day comes from living in Seattle. That must that could be like a youthful, embedded personality issue. Yeah, I think it is. <laughs> All Seattleites have a little bit of that. And people who live in England as well. Yeah, so few nice days. The, there's a, a, a Dr. Seuss quote I came across recently, which is, don't cry because it's over, smile because it happened. Yeah, that's a great way to live. And I've been trying to embrace that a little bit more. Yeah. Not just in this situation. I was trying to embrace that a little more in the weeks prior to this situation. But don't just mourn the fact that it's done. Like, I can mourn the fact that my time in Rome is done endlessly. And I'm sure I did for like a year. Everybody on this podcast probably knows how long it would have taken. <laughs> Obviously, I guess the ongoing trend on this podcast is I don't let things go very easily. It seems to be very important to me that a story arc is completed in the right fashion. Why do you think that is? Do you think it's because of your your background doing radio or? I don't know. I mean, it makes me absolutely devastated to know that I live on a planet that Susan's no longer on. That's a side fact. But I also am bothered by the fact that, that the story arc shouldn't have ended that way. That shouldn't have been what happened. Well, it shouldn't have been according to you, but you... I have the same problem with like relationships in the past that ended too soon or like, I feel like it has to sort of come to a good resting place and just be like, and that's the end. Not everything in life has a Hollywood ending, unfortunately. Of course not. No, none of it does. But 
when I left Rome, I think part of the hard adjustment was I felt like I was finally catching on and then it was time to go. And so I felt like, oh, I was just onto something. Like I was just starting to figure it out and now it's over. And I have a problem with that. I'm trying to get over that, but I have a problem with that. No, I, I got it. I know. I'm not like as nimble to change, I guess, as I'd like to be. Well. But that's beyond the point. I mean, obviously, they're two different things. Like losing somebody you love is different than not being good at change. But I'm just putting the two together for conversational sake. Why not? We have heard from a lot of people on this show and even interviewed some people who moved or started traveling all the time because they lost someone or because someone near to them got a diagnosis that was a fatal diagnosis and they suddenly realized, why am I working here? Why am I doing this job that I don't want to be doing? I got to go. I do think it's a big catalyst to becoming a person who lives in a different country than where you're from, or even for the people that we've met along this journey of doing the show who are constantly on the move and traveling. Yeah, I mean, I think if that's your passion, though, because a lot of people they might have completely different passions and losing someone or getting a diagnosis like that or someone that they love getting a diagnosis might push them to do a completely different thing. Um, But of course, we always look at everything through the lens of being an expat and traveling. So that's what we would would gravitate towards. Okay, here's a question for you Mm. just to lighten things up a bit. Okay, let's lighten it up. If you got a bad diagnosis... A one-year type thing. Where would you go? I'm knocking on wood because I know you're superstitious. Where would I go? I don't know. I guess the problem is what I ask myself a lot of the time is I don't know that I have a good answer. Hmm. After Susan passed away, I took a break and I flew to L.A. for a couple days. Be somewhere else and to be on the beach. And I did think at that point that I think I would like to live in a sunnier place, and be by the beach. Mm-hmm. And I'm not talking about the Washington State beaches that are covered in rocks and are freezing cold. Another thing that had happened, like, I don't know if you remember when Derek and I got back from Rome, instead of coming just home, we did that big seven-week road trip across the country, looking for somewhere new to live instead of Seattle. Well, I didn't realize that that was part of the point of it. Part of it was to not go home yet. <laughs> Um, and have the adventure be over. But the other half was, I don't know that we want to live in Seattle anymore. Maybe we should explore some of the other places where we know other people and see if we want to live there instead. Of course, part of that was visiting Mark and Susan in Beaufort, South Carolina. And during this entire trip, we were asking people, well, how much would you have to make to have a good lifestyle here? When I went to Richmond, Virginia, and I asked that to a good friend of mine that lives there, her husband was like, probably about $100,000, maybe more. And Derek and I were like, oh my gosh, (laughs) whoa, (laughs) we're not going to make that much, most likely. So maybe Richmond, Virginia is out. But when we were in Beaufort with Mark and Susan, they looked at each other and they thought, "Mm, I don't know, 30,000. And we were like, oh, wow, 30,000. That sounds, that sounds really great. And then we were talking about it later and we said, is this a conversation that we're asking people where we're just asking them, how much do you make? Because everybody kind of feels like they have a good life if they're in the spot that they want to be. 
I don't know how much Mark and Susan made, but their rent was incredibly low compared to Seattle because it's a smaller town. Well, everywhere is low compared to Seattle. I know. Except maybe San Francisco. Yeah, and so we talked actually like really seriously about whether or not we could move to South Carolina and live in Beaufort. Really debated it, and part of what I was thinking after Susan died was, I wish we'd done it. I missed out on that lifestyle that they were showing us of, this is the way your life could be. And it was so relaxed compared to what life is like in Seattle. I think it was also full of creatures. And I realized that I would like to be somewhere. There's a lot of creatures around. Crabs, animals, I don't know, anything. Could that be a sign then? Maybe that was a sign? Maybe. Where would you go? I don't know. I don't know where I would go. Maybe you would go anywhere if you only had a... That's another thing. Like, maybe you just stay with your family. Well, you I, w- I, would, I would insist they go with me, obviously. <laughs> well, no, I know. <laughs> but I mean, like, you know, maybe, like, if I had a year to live, I'd be like, well, why start somewhere else? Why not just stay here in Seattle with all my buddies? Yeah, that's a good way of looking at it. I definitely would, would rent some amazing apartment with a view of the entire city. If I stayed in Rome, I would rent, like, some fabulous apartment with a gorgeous view of... You know, from like the Janicolo Hill, like a view of Rome. So I could watch the sunset over Rome every single day because I never get tired of it. I don't know where I would go, but I will tell you that when I think about when I'm like really quiet and I think about what I would like just my like habitat to be, not considering jobs, not considering distance, not considering all of those lifestyle and all of that stuff. I also feel like I would like to be near the ocean or the sea, or at the very least, a lake. I grew up in front of a lake, as you know. I love water. And I'm a fire sign, and actually, that makes sense. Fire signs like water. I really, really love it. I like the sound of it. I like drinking it. (laughs) Um, I love water. I love being in water, and I love being around water. I really think that sometimes we kind of ignore these little voices in our heads that say, you know, for you, I need to be near creatures. Other people, they love being in the mountains. It just, it makes them feel alive. Or other people, they need to be around a lot of trees or they need to be in the country. And some people need to be in the city. Some people like thrive on the busy, fast moving noise and and all of that. I think too often we go where it's easiest, not, not easiest, but we go where we can get a job. Or we go where our family is or where, you know, we went to school or where our partner is, you know, or where there's good schools for our kids. You know, there's so many different things that influence the decision of where to live. And I think a lot of times we don't think about what our soul is actually really craving. And if you think about where you live, it's so important because it's like that's what you're around all the time. It should be the number one thing maybe after choosing your spouse, like the number two decision that you make in your life should be where you choose to spend it. And I think so many of us don't even think about that. Yeah, it has so much momentum. There's so many other things that drive it in one direction or another. Yeah, well, there's just so many considerations. You know, when they do those, like, I don't know what they're called, but they rate cities, like they'll rate all the American cities, like from like number one to number 50, the best places to live. And there's like all these criteria So yeah, there's a lot to think about, but what is it that really, like that you need to feel at peace? And I mean, I think being around water and being around the ocean is is a common one. I think a lot of people crave that, or I think a lot of people crave being in, in nature. 
And it's funny because, you know, having a kid makes you kind of realize all children love to be outside. It's like just a rule. All children love to be outside and all children love animals. If you look at children's toys and children's cartoons and things, they're all animals. Children love animals and children love nature. And I feel like that's really all of us love. All humans were meant to be around nature and we're meant to be around animals. And it's when we're children that we realize that. And then as we get older, we forget about it. We have other priorities. But I think that we all really crave that in our lives and we don't all give it to ourselves. Yeah, I think that's true. And I think we don't, this isn't revolutionary either, but we think of ourselves as being so separate when really like all of the living creatures in the world are having their own experience of what it is to be alive. When I was sitting on that beach in LA, I was looking at these crabs, this kind of crab that I was sitting on these rocks and I was looking down to the crevices where all these green and red crabs were. I have no idea what kind they are. I've never seen green and red crabs before. <laughs> so I'm going to have to look it up. What a different kind of life they're having. They're sitting there on the rocks, posturing with their claws, filtering stuff out of the water and eating algae off rocks and getting brushed around by the water tides coming in and out. And that's an entirely different thing going on right there than what I've got going on in my life. We're so different, but we're all just living creatures on the same spot with one life. And that's it. And we're just doing our thing. We're doing our human thing. They're doing their crab thing. I had this notion when I was there watching these crabs posturing and putting their little claws in the air and doing whatever, looking like little conductors. I was thinking how much posturing and flailing and things that we as humans do against one another also. You know, <laughs> we're doing the similar thing. And how much better it would be if instead of doing all this posturing and being like, look at me, look at me, stuff that we do, if we were just sitting there watching the, all the animals doing that same stuff. For me, I think that that might be a more peaceful life. You missed your calling to be a marine biologist. You could have been watching... I had a teacher that told me not to be one. Did you know that? No. Ah. No, I was just going to say you could have spent your whole working life staring at animals, staring at sea creatures. It's probably not so idealistic as it, we make it sound. Well, you always have those questions too, as if, if you do it for a living, does that mean you like it as much? You yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But no, I actually did. Have, we should end. But I did have a teacher that I asked her, if I'm not very good at math, could I be a marine biologist still? And she said, no, look for another profession. Same with me. I wanted when I was little. I mean, I obviously wanted to be an actress and an opera singer. Those were like my two big things. But I also went through a phase where I was obsessed with architecture and I wanted to be an architect. Mm. I, I don't know if you know this. this. I think it was before I met you. I, I was little. I was little. I was probably like eight, nine but I hated math. <laughs> I hated math. And I think someone told me the same thing. Like, if you don't love math, don't be an architect. <laughs> well, maybe there was something else in that, though. Maybe it wasn't so much that I should have been a marine biologist and you should have been an architect. But maybe there was something that we should have noticed in that passion. You know, that I wanted to sit there and look at marine creatures and you wanted to look at what? Or do what? I just wanted to have a mansion. I just wanted to have a mansion and I wanted to design it myself. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> but what does that tell you about yourself or like your passion, maybe? Anything? Um, mm, Not really. Well, I mean, it's creative. It is creative. And I used to draw like, I used to have like graph paper 
and I used to draw like what I thought were blueprints, like I what I thought blueprints would look like. And someone once taught me how architects made windows with the three little lines, and I knew that. But I didn't know that you had to make like a wall actually be more than just a line. To me, like the wall was a line. <laughs> I used to draw um, like my dream home and I had like this townhouse that I wanted to have in New York City and I designed it. So I guess it is a form of creativity and I hope I'm a creative person. I think I'm a creative person. <laughs> so I mean, I wrote a book for God's sake. Do you remember any of the details of that dream home? Uh, yeah, I do. I remember that it was a corner penthouse. Not penthouse, it was townhouse. It was a corner, mm-hmm. L-shaped. And in the middle of the L was a courtyard. Not only was it this like giant, not giant, but like very like, you know, substantial to be in like, you know, Upper West Side, New York City, where I'd probably never been in my life at that age. <laughs> right. <laughs> but that's where I wanted it to <laughs> right. be. You know, it was the whole corner and it was like four stories high and it had this courtyard. I love that. That's all I can remember. See, I used to think it would be great to have a stream running through my home. (laughs) And when you get to be an adult, you think logistically, wow, that would be a problem. A stream? Not even like a fountain, like a real stream. Yeah. The house is just built over a stream and the stream runs through it. You know what? I think there is a house like that. There, But there's a very famous one designed by... Frank Lloyd Wright. I will look it up. Look it up. Frank Lloyd Wright designed, and I think the river, it was built like over a river and the river flows like underneath the house and you can see it like through the glass floor or something like that. Oh, see, I didn't have a glass floor. I mean, I could have had like fish (laughs) jumping onto the carpet. Well, I think that shows you um, your passion there, your passion for creatures, for little creatures. Or being in nature. All right. Well, we wandered all over the place there. And uh, once again, I cried. Whoever's keeping a tally. How many times have I cried on the show now? Three times? Um, Four? I think, I think maybe three. At least three two. Times? This is at least the second time. But I think maybe this is the no, third time. I think time. three. I feel like three. Yeah. I don't, I don't really know for sure. Whoever's keeping the tally out there, let me know. Three times, we'll say. But, you know, 157 episodes. So I feel like that's not a terrible track record. It's not bad. It's not bad. All right. Fair enough. And just a reminder... Um, loneliness tiffany mentioned at the beginning we're going to do a follow-up loneliness episode we've gotten a few great voice memos of people sharing about their loneliness on the road or how they approach loneliness or whatever other take you want to do on it let us know maybe you're lonely right now you can share how you're feeling and why you might be lonely and we'll do a follow-up follow-up episode with your stories as part of it i don't know if there's any trick to doing voice memos and sending them in but Do you know anything about it? I only have an iPhone. I don't know how it works on Androids, but imagine it's the same. If you do record a voice message, I think if it's short enough, you can just immediately upload it into an email. Right. Okay. And then send it to bittersweetlife at mail.com. Bittersweetlife at M-A-I-L.com. You can also find us on Twitter at bittersweetpod and on Facebook at Bittersweet Life Podcast. Maybe it is the Bittersweet Life Podcast. I don't know. Just go to our website and you can find what the Facebook thing <laughs> is because we don't know. <laughs> we, we're, Who does remember their Facebook address? I don't just know. Just go to thebittersweetlife.net and everything is there. Yeah, just or just search us on Facebook. You'll find it. You'll find it. You'll find us. If you want to find us, you'll find us. And you can also, if you want to see a picture of my friend, I'll put one up there under this week's episode. And so you can find all of these connections right below. Yes, in our uh, show notes. There you go. Thebittersweetlife.net. Right. Right. All right. And until next time, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. 
Join us again. Bye. If you're coming to Rome, Tiffany is an excellent tour guide. Find her at the pinesofrome.blogspot.com. There's a link on our website, thebittersweetlife.net. And consider supporting us. There's a donate button on our website. It helps us pay the bills and keep this podcast going without too much loss for us. And support us also by telling your friends. Spread the word. Thanks so much for spending all this time with us. <laughs>